Welcome to Living Water Radio. Today we're going to talk about using the opportunity we have during this pandemic to reflect on the kind of church we want to be when we reopen and how that could happen. We'll start by looking at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. My name is Pastor David Burkadal. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister, focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I graduated from St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota, and Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, California. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and San Dimas, California for over 40 years. I worked a variety of blue-collar jobs in college and seminary and served in the Marine Corps. I played drums and jazz bands through college and seminary and a little beyond and was a competitive master swimmer on a team before the pandemic. Today, doing gardening and landscape maintenance is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 110 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. When I was serving my first parish in Compton, we had provided our worship space for a revival led by an American Samoan church in our neighborhood. I hadn't had much experience with revivals, and I wanted to be a good host, so I attended. I was invited to sit with the pastors and elders of the congregation up front. It was a warm evening on the first night, and our air conditioning system was straining to make the people who had packed into the worship space comfortable. We had left the double doors at the main entrance open to provide a little more circulation. At the end of the service, the revivalist invited me to come forward and, quote, open the doors of the church, quote. I hesitated. I was confused and gestured toward the entryway as I leaned into him and said quietly, the doors to the church are open. He also said quietly, no, invite people to join the church. In all the history of revival, I'm guessing that what followed was the most tepid invitation to Christianity ever attempted. Billy Graham, the mid-20th century evangelist who was somewhat controversial but widely respected, who ended segregated crusades in the early 1950s, who was the one who bailed the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. out of jail during the Birmingham demonstration, was criticized after one crusade for having set Christianity back a hundred years. He reportedly responded, Then I have failed, for my intention was to set Christianity back 2,000 years. The Christian Church came into being with a bang. Pyrotechnics, mystery, simultaneous translation. The doors to the church weren't just opened, they were blown off their hinges. Here's the description from the Bible's book of Acts, the second chapter, starting at the first verse. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? That was the birthday of the Christian church. It was born in a wildly inclusive community. What would it take to make the church today such a community in a way that's more than an abstraction? We live in times that have given us a great opportunity to reflect on what kind of church we want to be. We have been given an opportunity to reopen in a way that reflects the diversity of the early church, the first Christians, united in the Holy Spirit, the ongoing personal presence of God for good in the world. We have an opportunity to reopen to being a church that defines racial justice as a core value because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, to be a model for the larger culture, to recommitting ourselves to having those uncomfortable conversations again and again until we begin to understand each other. We have been given an opportunity to rethink what we emphasize as the church. I once read and often quoted, the church is not a museum for saints, it is a hospital for sinners. Then I read a better way. The church is not a hospital for sinners waiting for the sick and wounded to come in. It's more like the paramedics who go to where people are hurting and start them on the road to healing. We may be seeing the end of being an attractional church and are moving toward being a missional church. We have an opportunity to reopen to the possibility of opening up to being open to new people. My hero, Lyle Schaller, a church development advisor, often commented that every church wants to grow, but very few are really willing to pay the price to give up our cherished status individually for the sake of the church and for Christ. King Duncan, one of the ten or so preachers who have been most influential in my own preaching, along with Anthony Campolo, Leonard Sweet, Fred Craddock, Pastor Vernon Anderson, Pastor Will Hertzfeld, Pastor Cliff Swanson, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, a forgotten narrative preaching author, and Professor Robert Gazer, once told a story about how, as a younger pastor, he was listening to the radio one Sunday morning as he got ready to go to church. He had tuned into the worship service of a new congregation on the edge of town that he had heard had been attracting a lot of new Christians. The pastor had just started with the announcements. Before we begin our worship service, I have a few announcements, he said. First, if anyone has to go to the bathroom, go now. When you go in the middle of the service, it's distracting, especially if you raise your hand to ask. Second, if you see someone you know, don't yell at them to get their attention during worship. Others want to hear the service. Third, don't raise your hand or speak up if there's a point you don't understand or you want to make a comment about during the sermon. It delays the service. And fourth, if you decide you don't like your seat after worship has begun, please don't move to another location. It disrupts the service. As he listened, King Duncan said he was cracking up. What kind of hillbilly church is this? I would never have to explain things like this to the people of my congregation. They know the rules. And then he thought, of course my congregation knows the rules. They've all been there forever. Which one of us is doing a better job of reaching people with the gospel? people who don't know the rules. We have an opportunity to reopen ourselves as a church, to be changed by new people, to be patient as they learn what it means to be the Christian church with humility, 
a gift of the Holy Spirit as simple fellow Christians. One of my favorite books on church development is a little book called How to Knock Over a 7-Eleven and Other Ministry Training. It tells the story of a group of people who go to a smallish town of 9,000 people in Colorado to start a church. The strategy was for each of the group to be a specialist in one aspect of church ministry, so that a large staff was present from the founding of the church. The staff would each get a part-time job to support them until the church grew and they could make their church specialty their full-time job. That wasn't working, and the staff was getting more and more frustrated. One night they were having a strategy meeting, and it got so heated that the lead pastor had to yell at the staff, You people are so disorganized, you couldn't knock over a 7-Eleven. And he stormed out of the room and up onto the rooftop patio. He said, I wish I could say that I went up on the roof to pray, but I just went up there to cool off. When he had, as he came down and approached the room where the staff was meeting, he heard them laughing and saying things like, Okay, Jim, you get the getaway car. Julie, you get the guns. I'll watch for the police. And they had bonded over their plan. Everyone had also cooled down enough so that they decided to take a new approach. They decided to be a servant church first, a professional nonprofit church organization second. They asked around to see what was needed and learned that the community really needed a handyman business. So they started one. They learned how-to skills on YouTube and kept their prices low. Then they found that a restaurant was needed, so they started one and hired local people needing a job. If you didn't have the money for a meal, you could trade work for it. They started a low-cost car repair place for single moms and people who just needed transportation so that they could get to work. Then they started a summer outdoor movie theater and kept admission and snack prices low so that a family could afford to go. After several years of getting known in the community as people who genuine came to serve, they opened their worship ministry. They have thousands of members in a town of 9,000 now because they came to serve the community first. In the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, starting at the 14th verse, we read Jesus saying, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Flip, we become a new creation, a new church, if we are open to letting the Holy Spirit transform the church and make of it a new creation, as the Spirit has first transformed God's people. We have seen a lot of information about the death of George Floyd, but not much about his life. Christianity Today magazine ran an article quoting his fellow ministry workers in Houston, where Mr. Floyd's memorial service and funeral is happening today and tomorrow. He was a leader in a ministry in the historically black Third Ward, quote, particularly in the Cooney Homes housing project known as The Bricks. He led an outreach particularly to young black men that included Bible studies, help with doctor's appointments, worship services, three-on-three basketball tournaments, barbecues, and community baptisms. We see this image of service and proclamation most clearly at the cross, sacrificial love for all humanity. We are created in God's image and made a new creation in Jesus Christ and a new community in the Holy Spirit, one God. We are not one yet, except in Christ, 
and we are not all the same. But if we reopen the church in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be changed for the better, and we can see in our status as children of God something more important than our differences. Each of us has a contribution to make toward building up the body of Christ, the church. Each of us has something to give that is crucially necessary to reopen the church. Let your light so shine. Let the streams of living water, the power and person of the Holy Spirit, shape you from within to reach others as their servants in the name of Jesus Christ. Today, let's remember to pray to be the faithful members of the body of Christ that God has equipped us to be at our local church, to be faithful and contributing and making a difference in the lives of those both within and outside the church. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com and we'll send it to you. Put your prayer requests in an email to the same address, therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com, and we'll include them next time. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your hearts to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who alone gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend or family member. Google it. Do some research. Look around. Phone the pastor. When you have one, go to or tune in to the worship services they have currently available for you and support the church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google your local hotline or the national ones. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home. Practice social distancing. Wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in one. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, including those who sacrifice their security to provide for yours and for those you are sheltering with in isolation. That's it. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the community in the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.